Brookside, I'm so glad that I get to do church with you guys this morning uh, for so many different reasons. One of them is that I hope you know we just love being with you. Um, there's a lot of people that ask the question, you know, why do I need to go to church? Why should I be a part of a church if I can just listen to something online, if I can just watch something on TV? And by the way, I can watch every sermon across the country on my TV, and I can watch it in the comfort of my own living room or my bedroom, whatever it is. Why do I need to go to church? And one of the reasons that my wife and I love to be a part of Brookside is not just because uh, it's a great mission-driven church, but because it's a great people to belong to. And so if you're like, listen, I'm new to Brookside. What is this place all about? We are all about healthy relationships, starting with our relationship with Jesus and then extending to each other. And we believe that that will cause us to build more and more Jesus-centered homes, including your home and my home. And as a result of that, more of our communities, Arlington Park, Cherry Hill, Jonathan Oaks, whatever your neighborhood is, will become more saturated by the gospel. And so thank you for being a part of this, guys. Uh, This is a good time if you have your Bibles to open the book of Colossians. We're starting a new series today, and uh, I'm excited that uh, I get to be a part of this today. Um, Let me tell you you, uh, why I'm excited about this series. This morning, or last night, uh, when our family started going to bed, about 9 or 10 o'clock, something like that, um, it started getting a little bit chilly in our house. And we're like, well, it's cold outside. We looked at the thermostat. We had it set at 70, and it said 69. And we're like, well, that's fine. It's cold outside. And so we go to bed. This morning, about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, my wife and I wake up, and we're like, man, it's really cold in here. And so I get up, and I look at the thermostat. Now it's at 61. We're like, oh, man, something happened to the furnace. Don't worry, we got a guy coming out to look at it, but we realized that thing broke. And all of a sudden, we're like, we're cold in this place. And you know what I I did? We grabbed some extra blankets, and I put another blanket on each of the kids. We put a sweatshirt on. We put some thicker socks on. I have a fireplace in the living room, so I built a fire. That was kind of nice. They're actually watching it right now next to this fire. We had space heaters, so we could turn those things on. And here's what I realized. When the furnace broke, I recognized all of the other ways we could stay warm. And I began to get a little more thankful for these things. And so on the way to church this morning, I said, thanks for extra blankets. Thanks for sweatshirts. Thanks for a fireplace. Thanks for space heaters. Thanks for warm woolly socks. And I think what I realized in scripture is that one of the, one of the results of being a follower of Jesus is that you become more thankful of things. And that's why I think the theme verse for the entire book of Colossians is, if, is Colossians chapter two, verse six. Listen to it. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Now, here's how you do this. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing, here's the word, with thankfulness. And so here's what we want to do over the course of this series. Starting today, we want to train you on how to be rooted and established in Jesus Christ so you can be built up in him so that you can be strengthened in the faith that you were taught in so that you can overflow with thankfulness. If you want a visual for this, think of an oak tree. Deep, strong roots built up, strengthened, and then overflowing with thankfulness. And so to start that today, would you please welcome my friend and one of your pastors, John Mueller, to the stage as he starts this series for us. John, thanks for being with us this morning. Would you guys say thank you for, for him being with yeah, us this morning? I'm going to get your table. So I am excited to start this series because, one, Eric has to sit there and listen to me this time, okay? I always have to listen to him. No, I'm just kidding. Um, 
This morning, we're gonna be going through the book of Colossians. We're gonna start in verse uh, one through 23. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles there. But the book of Colossians, it's a very interesting book. Many of you are not watching me, you're watching that video, aren't you? Okay, that's the point, that's the point, okay? I'll refer back to it later. Now, who are the Colossians? Many of us are so detached from the Colossians. This was 2,000 years ago. What, what, what were they? Where did they live? Now, Colossae, the city, was 80 miles from Ephesus. It was in what we call modern-day Turkey. And at this time, when this letter was written by Paul, it was very much a letter that was written to a city that was in decline. They weren't uh, as big as Ephesus. They weren't as big as some other cities that you hear about in Revelation, Laodicea, and a couple others. But we know that Paul wrote this letter, but he never went to Colossae. Isn't this crazy? So... In Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it tells us that his ministry in Ephesus created two believers. There was two people that went. One of them's mentioned in Colossians. They got saved, they went back, they started a church. So this church was started as a result of that, that meeting that he had in Ephesus. Now, my question to you, and this is a little bit of a pivot, but when you think about church, many times things aren't very easy. When you think about family, things aren't always easy. Things happen that are difficult. And so difficulty came to the Colossian church. And when difficulty came, it wasn't an if difficulty will come, it's when it will come. Don't we all like, we all wanna, all wanna be like, well, it might get difficult, but no, really, it got difficult. And so like, let me give you a couple examples from my life. I remember when difficulty came because I got a phone call at 1220 at night on March 23rd, 2012. And that call was from my brother saying my dad passed away of a heart attack. So that's like that moment where you're like, okay, what is going on? And the Colossian church is being rocked at its core in this moment. So Paul wrote this letter to respond to it. So you get the gist of it. Life is gonna have difficulty. My difficulty that I just described led to some spiritual questions, but it wasn't necessarily spiritual difficulty. And so they were dealing with an opposition group. There was a group that many of you have probably never heard of called the Gnostics. And jokingly, I called them the know-it-alls because they thought they had secret knowledge from God that was more than what Paul's letters had, more than the Old Testament, and it was something that they knew but no one else knew. They thought they had superior knowledge. And they believed something that was very interesting. They believed anything physical was evil, like your body is evil. So they believed that Jesus was a spirit but never a man. He wasn't enough. He wasn't the sacrifice for sins. He wasn't enough for what you actually need. And so they took things from, from the Jews. They took things from Eastern mysticism. They took things from the Christians. And they just kind of all mushed it together and they called it Gnosticism. And so Paul wrote this whole letter. And I'm just giving you this background for the whole series. Is, it, is he wrote this letter to respond to those people, to the Gnostics, and tell the Christians that were there what they needed to do in response and who Jesus was. And he wanted the church to know that Jesus was not who they were hearing he was. And so the uh, theme verse that Eric mentioned is, is really the core verse. If you look at the progression of the whole book, it, it culminates and it, it stops right at Colossians 2, 6 through 7. So there it says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus. So we're looking back at all the stuff I'm gonna cover today. Therefore, because all this stuff that we're covering, 
You walk in him, rooted and built up, established in the faith, as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And so what does rooted even mean? Let's define rooted. Does anyone ever use that in their everyday vocabulary? No, nobody. As you see all these roots in the graphic, rooted means to establish deeply and firmly, to establish roots, roots that are deep and go out. And so we're being told to establish roots in Jesus Christ. Now, did you see, do you see the video earlier? Because you weren't paying attention to me, right? Okay, you see that video earlier? Everyone see how the roots kind of went down and then they kind of filtered out like this? That's a time lapse of roots growing over time. How much time do you think passed in that video? Anybody? Nobody? Okay, there's a child here. What? A few days? It's more than a few days, but less than a year. Anyone else wanna try? 60 days? It's actually 25 days. Okay, exactly, 25 days. That was 25 days of growth, okay? It takes time, it's not overnight. You don't just grow roots just by happenstance. It takes time, it takes work, and there's nutrients from the Holy Spirit. So what does the beginning of Colossians start with us being rooted in? What are we supposed to establish roots with? Let's look at the first eight verses, and I, I'm gonna open my Bible here and read this, but the first two verses, Paul greets them. Paul's really good at greetings. If you read the beginning of all the epistles, he's always greeting people and he's greeting them in a, in a certain way. But then in verse three, he starts praying. He starts thanking them. I mean, when Eric described his uh, furnace issue here, this is the prayer we need. Thank you, God, for all the things that God's doing. It's the same thing here. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, in verse three, and then it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you've heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you. Indeed, the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you. Since the day you heard it and understand the grace of God in truth, just as you learned from Epaphroditus, our fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has been made known to us your love in the spirit. Now, Paul is celebrating something. You know, sometimes we don't celebrate enough. You ever notice that? I mean, I'm not really a big birthday person. I don't like celebrating my birthday because it just means I'm getting older, right? You know, but like there's certain things you wanna celebrate. And Paul here celebrates the gospel, faith, love, and hope of the church. That's what he's celebrating. He's, if we're gonna be rooted in Jesus Christ, we have to be rooted in celebration. We have to be excited. When someone gives someone else grace, let's celebrate it. When someone else loves someone well, let's celebrate it. When someone has faith, let's celebrate it and get excited. And when the gospel goes out, let's be excited. Celebrating that, what does that even mean? What does it even mean to celebrate those things? I'm assuming I'm not alone in this, okay? I'm just gonna assume I'm not alone, but have you ever found yourself going into a restaurant that's outside of your comfort zone? It's usually nicer than you're used to, or it's some unique cuisine that you're not really certain about. Maybe it's got live animals in it, I don't know, whatever. So this happened recently to my wife and I. We were, we were going to celebrate our 13th anniversary, and it's actually this Tuesday, but we celebrated early. We found ourselves at a restaurant that has reservations for months ahead of time, and they had an open table. So they're like, yeah, we can seat you. And I'm like, awesome, this'll be great. And then we started to look at the menu, and it got a little less great. We're like, ah, 
I don't know about this. And then, then the, the waiter comes and says, our, our chef came from a three-star Michelin restaurant and he's amazing and da, 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 da. And I'm like, okay, if he can make this stuff taste good, then we'll go for it. You know, we were a little uncertain. We're like, ah, I don't know. So we looked at the menu and we said, eh, this is more adventurous than we liked. But we ended up staying because if you know me and my wife, the one thing we can agree on, walking out of a restaurant is a little awkward, okay? Let's <laughs> just don't do it. Just don't do it. We felt like we picked the wrong place. And then we started ordering. And we ordered and they had these little plates and you, they bring out the little plates because again, it's a nice restaurant and they got a bunch of little plates and we start eating. And as we're eating, I start hearing some noises from my wife like, hmm, that's amazing. This is good. And then I'm saying that. I even had like an oyster jalapeno slider, whatever that is. I don't even know what it is. It tasted good. I think that's a little bit like celebrating the gospel and faith and love and hope. We sit down ready to eat, ready to celebrate, and we look what's on the menu sometimes and we're like, Ugh, I don't know if I want to be that adventurous. I don't know if I want to sound like a crazy person, be like, man, that's awesome grace over there. That, oh, you have hope. We don't like the menu when God gives us grace and love and hope and the gospel. And we don't realize that the chef, God, is making the best meals. They may not look like the meals we want to eat. They may not look like the things we want to celebrate, but they're even greater than that, and they're better. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, put it simply this way. He put it in perspective. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, that, that blessing that God gives through the gospel and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. They're too weak for what we need to celebrate. So to be rooted in celebration means to be rooted in Jesus and to celebrate grace and mercy and love. And it, the list goes on, but specifically, we can have abundant life in Jesus. Now afterwards, I'll tell you this. I feel like I've got a story of I ate all these crazy things, okay? But now you can look back on that and realize that's God's grace in your life sometimes when God brings things in your life. So when we celebrate, it leads to what Paul does next. And Paul, starting in verse nine, makes it very easy to see what we are to do after that. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He's delivered you from the domain of darkness and transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I'm just gonna make this really easy. This literally means to be rooted in prayer. Pray without ceasing. Have you ever heard that phrase? And some of you may go, well, what does that even mean? And I'm not gonna fully unpack that today, but I'm gonna unpack what Paul prayed for. And he says, he's not stopped praying for the church for knowledge. Remember those people I talked about earlier, the Gnostics? 
These people that were the know-it-alls, they thought they knew more than Jesus. They thought they knew more than other people. Guess what the word for knowledge is that Paul uses here? Gnosis, which is the same word where you get Gnostics. He was actually rebutting them by saying the knowledge found in Jesus, the fullness of Jesus, is better than the knowledge you have. So if we're rooted in prayer, that's where we find the full knowledge of God. When we're, when we're spending time in prayer, it's gonna be found there. There's no secret extra knowledge. There's no knowledge found separate from Jesus that has any eternal significance. There's no group like the Gnostics. Now, uh, I'm kidding. There's plenty of groups that think they're the Gnostics. They think they have this secret knowledge. But Jesus gives us spiritual knowledge. It comes from the Holy Spirit. Jesus speaks of this actually in, in John chapter 16 and also in John chapter 17. Jesus says, John 17, three, it says, this is the eternal life that they know, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so really the question that Paul's asking here is either as you know Jesus, what are you doing with it? What's the knowledge? How are you using the knowledge? How are you applying it? And then also, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And maybe you've heard the phrase. I, I've heard this phrase since I was a kid. Knowledge puffs up, knowledge puffs up. And I realize that the rest of the prayer is about what we need to do to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It means something different than puffing up. To, to the Hebrews, to the Jews, knowledge was not just something you know. It wasn't something that you're taught orally or you watch on a video or you see somewhere. It was actually something that you had to act on. You didn't know something until you walked it, until you did it. So for example, if I told you I'm a blacksmith, you probably would think I'm a little crazy if you know me because there's no way I'm a blacksmith. But I know a few things about being a blacksmith. You know, I've gone on a tour before, right? I, I, I've heard about how they heated metal up and all this stuff, but, but the reality is no one's gonna think I'm a blacksmith. And that's the, how the Hebrews thought. No one thought you followed Jesus until you walked with him and acted on what you knew. So a lot of us may be thinking, well, I know about Jesus. I've come to church my whole life, but, but are you walking with Jesus? There's a huge difference there. Here's a, here's a couple examples that I wanna share. There's one group of people that are scholars that read the Bible all the time frequently but have never led anyone to Christ by their actions or words. They're just kind of, maybe you feel stale. That's the one person. There's another person that's super zealous about leading others to Jesus, and they listen to an occasional sermon every eight weeks, but their relationship with Jesus Christ is almost non-existent. So which is better? Well, Paul makes it clear here, neither is better. Neither one. He makes it clear that being rooted in prayer, we're both supposed to dedicate ourselves to Jesus Christ through knowledge and through action. It requires both. We will be strengthened, Eric mentioned this earlier, strengthened with endurance and patience with joy. And it leads to the realization in verse 13 that he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. I can't think of a better thing to celebrate and pray over someone else. I wanna celebrate that every day. Anytime someone comes to Jesus and has forgiveness of sins, goes from darkness to the kingdom of God, I wanna celebrate that. But what about those Gnostic people? <laughs> They, they maybe, 
maybe they just think Jesus is one step among many. And, and Paul responds to them next. Again, he's responding to them. There's this big word here. I love this word, preeminence. Anyone ever use it before? Okay, no one? Are you sure? No one wanna call that word out? Okay, preeminence. It's verse 15 through 18. I'm gonna read that. It says, it is the, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in all things, in, in him, all things are held together. He's the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. And in everything that he might be preeminent. Wow. Jesus is more than anyone else was saying he was. This Gnostic group, the pagans at the time. He's more than anyone else is telling you who Jesus is. <laughs> because he is preeminent. He's first. And that's why we need to be rooted in presence. His presence is what sustains us. That's what sustains us. Now, let me, let me bring um, some context to this. I, I only watch the thank yous at award shows. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I don't do that. But I do see the, the thank yous. And usually, a thank you at an award show starts with what? Does anyone know? I'd like to thank who? God, right? Okay. I'd like to thank God. And that's the first thing you see in a word show. He's more than the few words on a TV screen. He's more than anything else in the universe. He's God. He's there at creation, it says. Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You might think that Jesus wasn't there, but guess what? Both in that verse and the second verse in the Bible, God is in the plural the entire Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are at the creation. He was present, he is present, and he will be present. And some people read this and get so totally confused because reading this verse, you notice the first part in verse 15, I believe. It says, he's the firstborn of creation. And I have to, I have to unpack something that's led to a lot of people being led astray by this. He is the creator. He's not the one created. And so in, in a Hebrew culture, in a Jewish culture, in the Old Testament, there's moments where the firstborn loses their birthright, right? And so the, the birthright is just the first preeminent person, or in this case, it's, he's preeminent God. He's the first in all creation. He's the first of those who have died a physical death. When later it says the firstborn of the dead, I love what Paul says in here because he ends with this. It's not because God was, uh, Jesus was created. It's because he was preeminent. He was first among firsts among all firsts. Means, preeminent means surpassing all others. Can I say first again? There's no second place for Jesus. If, if Jesus is holding second or third or fourth place in your heart, good luck because not, that's not who he is. He's the icon of God. He's the personal character of God. He's the supreme ruler of all eternity. And it even says he sustains you right now. We're all in this room sitting here, mostly. I'm standing. But we're in this room, and it says he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We would literally decombust. We would disintegrate if not for his continuous activity to keep us together. His presence is first in our lives. 
That's why we say Jesus-centered everything. You see that over there? That's why we say that. We say Jesus-centered homes. Maybe we say Jesus-centered relationships or Jesus-centered communities, that he has to have first place in our lives. No, it's not like we can compartmentalize. I know it's very easy to compartmentalize your life. You got work relationships. You got church relationships. You got this relationship. You got this. You got this. You got this. Jesus is first in everything, first in our homes, our families, our marriages, our jobs, our choices, first in love. We go to him before we go to anyone else about, about things like that. We go to him first when we're deciding what to do with our time, our talents, our treasures, and our testimony. He's first in our worship. Honestly, if, if we were ever up here singing and worshiping together as a church and Jesus isn't first, then this isn't a church anymore. So we need to be rooted in his presence. And the presence of Jesus is what drives our mission and our vision for the future. That's what drives it. So why all the celebration? Why all the prayer? Why all the presence? Well, it says in verse 19 that we were once hostile to God. And see, see what Paul says this. He says, right after we're hostile to God, it says in verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Anyone thinks that you need Jesus plus something needs to read verse 19 again. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus is God. He's the totality of God. He's not one among many. He's the one true God. And what is said next is even more powerful. Let me read verse 20 through 23 here. It says, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled the body of his flesh by death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. If we're gonna be rooted in reconciliation, it's gonna start with Jesus. So we need to be rooted in reconciliation. And understand, this is a one-way process. There is nothing you can do outside of putting your faith and trust in Jesus to earn your way to be reconciled to God. God did all the work through Jesus, and all we have to do is respond to his grace. One, one author put it this way. Our minds must feed on Christ and his word. Our hearts are to focus on him and in love. Our wills are to take their practice and pattern from him. Guess what? This is a scary thought. I'm a parent. My kids are gonna act like me. Oh, there's things that you do that you don't like about yourself or there's sinful things that your kids inherit because you do it. It's scary, but it says here, our wills are supposed to take their practice and pattern from him. Present faith leads to present results. Present drinking for present thirst. We must fill our lives every day from him. It's all about Jesus. If, you, if you're looking to some celebrity or someone else outside your life to, to bring you wealth, bring you riches or whatever it is, it's not Jesus. It's not gonna get you what you need. Without Jesus, we would be alienated for all eternity. I think of this as like being back in the schoolyard and being picked last. 
Like without Jesus, we're not even gonna get picked. We're gonna be the kid that they're like, hey, can you be the manager of the team? It's like, it's PE. There's no manager. What are you talking about? It's because we need to be rooted in reconciliation. We can have a Jesus-centered everything. We can't have Jesus-centered homes. And unlike the Gnostics that thought we need Jesus plus something else, we realize it's all about Jesus. He's more than enough for what we've gone through, what we're going through, and what we will go through. So when difficult times come, and they will, of course, he will be there with you, celebrating the wins, praying over you, being present with you, and reconciling you to himself. That's what Jesus is all about. I have a few take-homes I'd like to share. One is feast on the menu. God's menu is the gospel, faith, love, and hope. That's what we need to feast on. And it is, is it worthy of your time? Like, maybe you're like my, my wife and I, and we're a little uncertain about the menu because there's a lot of words we don't understand or there's things that we don't get. And maybe in the end we have to realize that God is good and he doesn't work on our timeline. So we need to feast on God's menu. Fight comfort for something greater rooted in Jesus. Choose to do something different. Set aside time. I know this is hard, but set aside time to celebrate victories that God has brought in your life that you can share with others as well. Spend time praying for others to know the fullness of Jesus. Put Jesus first in your time. That's what it means to feast on the menu. Focus on growing your roots. Do you guys, you guys saw the video at the beginning, right? That was 25 days. I found a video that took like seven years to do almost the same thing. I don't think being rooted is an overnight thing. If you leave here today and you're like, oh, Pastor John talked about being rooted and I'm gonna be rooted and I'm really excited. Well, I wanna tell you, it's not gonna happen right away. It's gonna be something that you have to consistently, faithfully pursue. Do you know what, do you know what the, has the longest roots in the world? I just discovered this this week. The longest roots in the world. It's the winter rye plant. They've grown to as long as 387 miles long. Can you guys be shocked? Oh, wow. I was shocked. If we're gonna be rooted in Jesus Christ, we need to focus on growing our roots in him and not anything else. And I hope all of us can say one day, my roots are in Jesus and they're so long, I can't even see as far as they go. I'm gonna be like the winter rye. I'm gonna grow my roots as long as possible. And it starts with Jesus being the sustainer of all life. Psalms three, verse five says this, I lay down and I slept. And I woke again and the Lord sustained me. Do you ever wake up and just say, thank you, Jesus, for another day? Thank you, Jesus, I woke up today. I could have have been gone. He's sustaining me. Every day, waking up and saying, Jesus, thank you for sustaining me. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for reconciliation. Please help me to do your will, not my own. That's a start to building roots. And some of us, we just need to apply what we already know. For others of us, we just need to start growing roots by reading the word of God and focusing on the Bible more. The third and last take home is be a person of reconciliation. 
instead of creating division in our homes, our families, and our church, be a reconciler. That's a hard one. We're called as a follower of Jesus to share the message of reconciliation with others. I don't think many people wanna hear that they're in darkness. I don't think many people wanna hear that they need to be reconciled to God because they've been alienated to God, that they're hostile to God. But if he is first in your life, you'll wanna share with others. You wanna pray for ways to share with others. I know every single time that I've been able to share the gospel with someone, I actually prayed first and I could trace it back to that. It's like, well, I prayed a couple weeks ago for that. Man, now this is the opportunity, wow. So let me circle back all the way to the beginning, the beginning of today. Some of us are living like the Gnostics, thinking we know better. Thinking we know better than other believers, thinking we know better than what the Bible says, thinking we know better in some way, rather than following Jesus without reservations. But scripture, Colossians chapter one, tells us that without our actions and our words, that, that it doesn't really follow. Like there, there, you have to act and you have to speak of Jesus. There's no better way. Jesus surpasses all others and sustains the entire universe. He sustains it. So we're gonna sing in a second. And when we sing in a second, I hope it's different for you because of what scripture says in, in, in Colossians chapter one. We need to turn our eyes upon Jesus because, because he offers the abundant life. He is and will be the first over the whole universe. And he is the one that we need to root into more than anything else. I'm gonna pray and the team's gonna come up, but I would hope that today, if you don't know Jesus in that way where your life has changed, you've done something different, you're acting different because of Jesus, that today would be that day where you turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know a lot of things. But one thing that we humbly request is that you would turn what we know into who we are. Help us, help us to be rooted in celebrating your grace and your mercy and your love and your, the faith others have in the gospel. Help us to be rooted in prayer, praying whenever we get a chance, not closing our eyes while driving, but praying whenever we get a chance. God, we know that we need your presence and that Jesus is first. God, help us to live like that. Help us to live with, with the joy that we can have and the thankfulness that we can have because we have been reconciled to God through Jesus dying on the cross so that we can be in relationship with him. We say all this in Jesus' name.